what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange. This is a monthly podcast uh, devoted to assisting people who are thinking about starting their own business and helping small businesses grow, survive, thrive. My name is Jeff Newville, uh, and with me here is Gary Muller. How you doing, Jeff? Good to be with you today. I'm very happy to be here, too. We're sitting in uh, beautiful western North Carolina in the Mesh TV studios. Uh, and this is our inaugural podcast, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ourselves and introduce ourselves, talk a little bit about small businesses and uh, what what encompasses a small business. Uh, each month, we're going to be coming to you with a, a specific topic, and today we're going to talk about elevator speeches and what they are and how small businesses can use them. And then each month, we're going to highlight uh, a small business that we've come across either in our travels or online or just uh, discovered and uh, share a little bit about that particular small business. And, uh, and we invite you to send us uh, your ideas for a small business of the month as well. And you know, we can share those with uh, the people that listen to our podcast. So anyway, we're happy to be here. Let's uh, start by talking a little bit about uh, our backgrounds. And I'm going to let Gary start. And Gary, uh, tell everyone uh, about you and what you do and uh, where you've come from. Okay. I'm department head for the business programs at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I am a graduate of Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, and I bleed black and gold with my uh, sports teams, unfortunately, last year, but I'm a diehard uh, fan. I After I graduated from Wake Forest, I went into public accounting, worked in the small business department for Deloitte, the uh, largest public accounting firm in the world. Very fortunate to get a lot of good experience there. And then from that, did what a lot of CPAs do. I went to work as financial officer of one of my clients. That's really when I got my start and my taste in looking at small business and entrepreneurship. And it was a national franchiser of specialty food shops. They were called Peanut Shacks, food for nut and candy stores. We had cookie store franchises, and we had coffee stores. We had over 200 stores nationwide when I left in the late 1980s, and we're doing very successfully, and many of those stores are still uh, operating today. They've moved into different uh, companies. The company was sold off, and the different franchises uh, went to different franchisors, but they're successful and still thriving today. I was fortunate enough when I was there to become a franchisee as well as work with a franchisor, so I saw both sides of business and understood uh, what it took to be a small business owner and how to start. Even with a franchise, you still have to have that drive. Uh, even though you're going to have the support of a franchisor, you have to have that drive to uh, run your own business because it's 24-7, whether you're a franchisee or a small business owner on yourself. And so that really got me excited. I've been in business for over 25 years after getting out of public accounting uh, in various business opportunities and one with a manufacturing firm. And now my brother and I own a couple of businesses that uh, we operate as we speak, uh, investment business and a real estate business. So you've been around the block. Yes. And for, a, for a, a man of such youth and whatnot, you still seem to have a, a great breadth of experience. Well, I have a lot of experiences. I've learned a lot of good things and a lot of uh, things I would do differently. 
No, and, no. And some of those lessons we hope to share with people, and, and unfortunately some you have to learn for yourself. But if we can uh, uh, keep people from uh, making some of the same mistakes that we've made, that's a good thing too. As for me, uh, I'm a graduate of the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill and uh, have worked for a small nonprofit in the Washington, D.C. area and worked for a small consulting firm in the Washington, D.C. area. And one of my claims to fame was uh, when I was there, I worked for a company that was called Management Concepts. It's still up in the D.C. area, and they provide uh, training for government agencies and businesses in the area. And I was in charge of developing management training programs and figuring out who the people uh, we should hire to teach those programs. And my claim to fame is that one of the people that I hired to teach classes was a fellow named Richard Hatch, who went on to become the first winner of the Survivor TV series. Richard Hatch, maybe you you remember him as the uh, fat naked guy. I remember uh, that. You remember that? And, uh, And how did you counsel him? How did I counsel him? Uh, he didn't need that much counseling when I knew him. Uh, unfortunately, he's probably needed some sense and that he uh, ran into some issues with the IRS with his winnings and uh, got to spend some time in uh, some, some federal institutions. Uh, but when I knew him, and I, and I actually have kept in touch with him a bit, uh, he, he was really a good guy, uh, actually came to my bachelor's party. Uh, so uh, that's, that's sort of my claim to fame. I spent most of my business career in a family uh, uh, textile company where we, we manufactured socks here in the western North Carolina area and, and served in a variety of roles from marketing operations and, and on to being a CEO. And uh, we, we sold our company a few years ago, and I started my own small consulting firm. And, and today I work with North Carolina State's Small Business Center Network as a small business center director where I, where I work with folks that are thinking about starting businesses as well as existing small businesses to, to help move them along and provide support services to them. So uh, I'm very happy to work with them. It's, it's interesting and enjoyable work, and uh, glad to share some of those, uh, uh, some of the information I use there with folks here on our podcast. So, looking forward to it. So, so Gary and I are going to be here on a monthly basis and, and sharing information with you. And you know, our, our goal is really to help folks that are thinking about starting new businesses get up and running. Uh, our goal is to share information with existing small businesses and. Uh, we'll bring some guests in to, to share their expertise in areas such as marketing and uh, finance and social media and a variety of areas. And we really want these shows to provide practical information. We really go into it with the assumption that most small businesses don't have great budgets to spend on, on a variety of topics. So when we look at these things, we, we try to find ways for people to proceed in an economical way. Economical always sounds better than cheap, don't you think, Gary? I think it sounds much more sophisticated. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we, we, want, we, want a, we want people to work in, in an economical way. And, and since this is our first podcast, let's, t- let's take a little bit of time and talk about the, the people that we're trying to reach, small businesses, and, and the impact that they have on our local economies. One of the things that we talk about that we spend a lot of time together because the director of our small business center in our area in Catawba County and myself working with the, the business programs, we have a variety of different 
people that we get the opportunity to touch and get involved in. Of course, we have our clients that come to the college uh, that come directly to you. They're looking for help in a variety of different ways. Maybe it's a business plan. And then we have students uh, that are coming back from maybe they have been laid off or maybe their situation at their current workplace is not as exciting as they like, and so they're looking to see what they can do on their own. And the combination of us you and I talking back and forth, and say, we try to find the best place for them, whether it's just doing counseling with you or whether it's going to some of our small business seminars and or maybe taking some curriculum courses and trying to fit the, the need. Uh, we don't try to do a, a cookie cutter for everybody. We try to find a customized solution for what they're looking for. And I think that's been the most exciting thing for me in the last few years is that when somebody comes uh, to our college, we're able to find what the right resources are for them and say, okay, what can we do that's going to make them successful and fill in the gaps. They may have a great idea, but how are they going to make it a reality? And I think that's what's the fun part for us is helping them get from an idea to uh, that first product offering or that first store opening or whatever it happens to be. Well, when, when, when you think about small businesses, what, what, what types of businesses come to your mind? Because I'm always surprised when I go out and look at uh, the Small Business Administration website and, and, and uh, government information about what constitutes a small business, what uh, the government thinks a small business is versus what you or I might think a small business is. So when you think of a small business, what do you think a small business looks like? Very good question. Very good point. Because uh, the government statistics have a much higher threshold for sales and employees. I think of someone that's coming in, maybe a husband and wife or someone starting their own business and looking to, to build it to the point where one is to supplement their current income and grow it into a business down the road and then add a few employees down the road. And that's what we see a lot uh, day to day, not the 100 or 200 uh, employee firm. And, and that's really who we're directing our podcast towards is, is the smaller uh, independent company that uh, might be a retailer, might be a tech company. It's, it's interesting if you go out to the, the Small Business Administration website and, and see how government defines small business, and we're always hearing about how important small business is to our overall economy, and, and Gary and I both uh, certainly agree with that. Uh, but but uh, as Gary was saying, the Small Business Administration defines small businesses, depending on the type of business, as uh, having... Uh, uh, no more than 500 people or no more than 250 people, depending on on the type of business that you're in. And to me, uh, as someone who worked in a family uh, textile business, and we had about 400 people working for us, I never really thought we were a small business. I, 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 if someone asked me, I would probably say we were a mid-sized business. You know, the government might say something different. I don't know. Well, that's a very good point. I think as you're talking about the franchiser that I work for, uh, many years ago, we would be classified as a small business because uh, we only had two or 300 employees, but we had 200 stores nationwide. I would consider the franchisees themselves the small business owners as opposed to the franchisor. Again, a uh, family business we're in, we have three or four employees. That's what I think about that we see day to day on a well, if you if you look at the government sites, and if you you know this, here's some information from the U.S. Census Bureau. Small businesses make up 99.7 of all U.S. employer firms. So I guess when you talk about some of these 
mid-sized companies, in my view, that might be classified as small businesses in the government criteria. That, that, that helps. But, but we all recognize that there are a tremendous number of small businesses out there. Uh, they, small businesses create 64% of net new private sector jobs. So when it comes to job employment, something that we're all interested in these days, whether it be locally or nationally, uh, that's something that uh, small businesses really assist with. Small businesses provide 42.9% of private sector payroll. So there are some pretty big numbers out there. And some interesting facts from uh, the Small Business Administration website, 59% of entrepreneurs were the first in their family to start a business. And, and I, I was actually the third generation of my family to be in a business. It was started by my grandfather. Seventy percent of entrepreneurs use their own savings as the main source of funding. And I suspect somewhere down the line, one of the topics we'll be talking about is funding because you and I both run into lots of people who, who struggle with, how do I get the money to go in business? You, you see those folks? Absolutely. That's one of the biggest gaps. And I refer to that as they have a great idea. They actually know how they would move forward with it, but they don't have the funding. And whether it's a gap for, you know, they need to make sure they have enough funding not only to get themselves started, but they need a financial forecast so that they can see how much money they're going to need in the startup phase till they start producing a profit. And that's where a lot of people fall down and they've got their business idea. They've done a lot of great planning, but they haven't thought about when they're going to reach break even for their business. And so they don't make it to that point. And we, we can help them a lot. That's one of the first things that we're talking to people is after we go through the ideas. Okay, how are we going to fund this? Did you know that 69% of entrepreneurship is conducted at home as a home-based business? It doesn't surprise me. Again, when you start looking at the number of or the types of people we're looking at, and you start thinking the government statistics are these 100 employees or 200 employees, then that's a little bit different. But the vast majority of entrepreneurs are working from home because they're trying to maintain as economical base as possible. Yeah, yeah and, and, and uh, as more and more small companies uh, can, can conduct business over the Internet, yeah, you don't need an office. You can you, you more and more people. You can do it out of home, and and also the, a lot of people start businesses. Uh, they might continue working uh, in their day job and aren't ready to make that leap of faith. And not a bad strategy on their part. And that uh, you'd really like to start generating some sales before you uh, before you quit the day job. Although not everybody has the luxury of, of doing that. Uh, you know, more and more people. Uh, when times are tight, think that maybe starting their own business is a better alternative than pounding the pavement and, and working for somebody else. It's got its pros and cons. Well, I think it's a very good point about the Internet and the changing uh, world. We talk about 69% working from home, and I, when I first think about that, I think about the people working out of the garage and all the great stories that they started this business in a garage, and it turned out to be multi-million dollar successful business. But now with the Internet, it works out well for people to do that. They don't need to go just get an office for the sake of having an office. They can work from home and be comfortable. And a lot of people are supplementing their, their current job with internet-type programs at night or having their family members help them along the way. And it, it allows them to move forward. And again, we use the word economical ways, not getting themselves overwhelmed from a, a cost standpoint. Well, I think however you want to cut it, uh, there are a lot of folks out there that are small businesses, and, and we hope the information that we'll be sharing with 
uh, people on the podcast will be relevant to them. Personally, I think that the government statistics might inflate a bit how many small businesses are out there. But there's no doubt that there are a tremendous number of small businesses. They create a lot of jobs in all of our communities. Uh, and, and being a small business owner uh, creates challenges. As you were saying, it's uh, uh, you know, it's not a nine-to-five type job. You know, When you go home, uh, you still have to worry about it. Uh, uh, you're still responsible for making payroll, and uh, you know, when you're working from somebody, uh, sometimes you can turn it off when you go home. When you're when you're the small business owner, you got to be on all the time. It's a challenge. That's exactly right. When somebody calls at midnight and you're the only one that can make the decision, then it's your decision. You can't say, "Well, we'll wait till tomorrow." Sometimes we've got to figure it out then. Is that what Hillary Clinton said in uh, in her campaign back in 2008, or was that 3 a.m.? I don't know. Uh, that's right. The, I forgot about that. It was the 3 midnight call versus right. the 3 a.m. call. <laughs> we'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Each month, we'd like to take a specific topic and talk a little bit about it and give you some, some helpful hints. And this, uh, for this podcast, we want to talk about something called an elevator speech. You know, what it is, why you should use it, and, and some ideas on how to do it well. So, uh, so Gary... What is an elevator speech? Well, an elevator pitch, and it goes by a lot of different terms, uh, and it's been around for a long time, and it's really important, whether you're an individual or whether you're a business. It's basically that catch pitch to get somebody's interest, and the elevator tie-in relates to, okay, I've got 30 seconds on an elevator, and I want to tell somebody about me or my business. So I want to have the best pitch and the most interesting pitch to catch them so that they're going to ask me some more questions or want to follow up with some conversations uh, in the future. Yeah, and, and I think we've all been in a situation where one of the first questions that you're always asked, whether it's on the elevator or whether it's at a cocktail party or a barbecue or standing in line uh, uh, at a ball game or waiting for an airplane or whatnot is, what do you do? And that's sort of your opening for giving somebody your elevator pitch. That's exactly right. And so I have to think of something interesting because if I say, well, I'm a CPA and I do I sell, this. I sell insurance. Right. They're going, that's nice, okay, and they go to the next person. So I have to come up with something that makes me much more interesting than that. And I know that you work with uh, both uh, small businesses and students on uh, putting together elevator pitches. And I also know that you are a fan of the TV show Shark Tank. And, uh, and, and I'm a fan of it as well. Uh, when you talk to people about putting together their elevator pitch, what sort of advice do you give them? Are there certain uh, hints or, or, or things that you tell them that to be more effective in it? Well, I do, and I love the show Shark Tank, and uh, we use it in a variety of different ways at the college through the Small Business Center as well as uh, with our students to give them some ideas of how to do an elevator pitch. Again, that's for TV, so there's some things that, you know, are a little bit more glorified or expanded on, particularly with the sharks coming back at them. But it is a good way to get people a feel for what it is, because when you're talking about elevator pitch, it's kind of out there in left field. So 
Shark Tank show brings it back to where they can say, oh, okay, I understand. They've got this idea. And the key is to not have an elevator pitch become 20 minutes. It's to make it a short succinct way of getting your idea across your business idea across whereas we talked about it as ourselves but in a business standpoint that's going to catch them it says okay why is my idea better or different than other people and why will it be successful what need is it filling yeah and i think an important point when you or i talk about shark tank and and pitching uh, there's a connotation there, or it's not a connotation, it's reality in Shark Tank, is that they're asking for something. They're generally asking for money. You know, I need money and I'll give you equity in my business. But but for most small businesses, it's really not necessarily about pitching for money. You're really trying to get people interested about your business so that hopefully they'll be interested in buying your product or buying your service. So this is not just something that you need to go out and secure uh, investors or capital it's really something that helps you sell yourself and sell your business. Exactly. On Shark Tank for TV, they're basically uh, short-circuiting the process because the elevator pitch is to get people interested so they'll learn more about who you are and what you're doing. And then you can sell them down the road through a variety of different processes and more presentations and those type of things. But it does give them the idea of what if you do a good elevator pitch, you've got somebody interested in what you're doing and learn, want to learn more about it. Yeah, to, to me, a good elevator pitch, you're, you're, and, and you mentioned uh, trying to make sure that you focus on the uniqueness or what makes you different, what makes you stand out, because uh, the, the, most businesses have competitors. If you're in a business where you don't have competitor, you're either in a great business and you're going to be incredibly rich or you're in a business that there's probably a reason that there are no competitors because it's probably not going to be successful. Uh, so usually you're going to have competitors and you have to figure out how to make your business stand out. So having some sort of hook in which you can uh, convince someone want to get more information about your business becomes very interesting and focusing on the uniqueness of what you do becomes very, very important. Yeah, it's critical that you know that you have competitors. One thing sometimes people say, they go, I got this great idea and there's really nobody that competes with it. That's kind of a flag or something that somebody's going to look at and say, well, that's probably not true. There's somebody that's filling that need one way or another. It may not be the best way, but we want to when we're doing that speech, say this is the issue and this is how we're going to solve it and how it makes us a little bit better than the competition. And, and one of the things that I always tell people is you, you need to make your elevator speech uh, understandable. So you've got to be careful of not including jargon or technical phrases in it that uh, uh, people that are simpler like Gary and I can still understand and, and that you don't go too far over our heads. If you start talking in such technical terms that people just turn off to it, you're, you're defeating the purpose. Oh, that's a very, very, very good point because I've worked with a, a few people that may have had the greatest idea in the world, but I couldn't understand it. And they were talking in terms that I couldn't understand. And by the time the elevator pitch became 30 minutes to 45 minutes, they had lost my interest. We have that with a lot of folks, and we try to bring it down and say, okay, talk just as you said, put it in terms that Gary Muller can understand, which means very simple. That's what we need to do. We need to make it interesting and easy to understand. We don't lose the message in the communication. Uh, from a personal perspective, I, one, of the, one of the things I tell people is you, you, in most cases you don't want to oversell. Uh, you're, you're trying to create interest in, in your business in a way that someone's going to listen to you for 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 
and and think, you know, that's something I'd like to learn more about. I'd like to get together with you at some point in time. Usually it's not the point where you're trying to actually make the sale. It, it depends on the situation. You could be, but but you're really trying to create interest and you're not trying to come off as uh, someone that's you know, beating somebody beside the head saying you need to buy it now while supplies last. Uh, now's the time. So so try not to oversell when you're doing your, your pitch. Uh, again, you're exactly right. You're trying to create interest. Again, if you're trying to get somebody to buy something from the initial short pitch to the end of your pitch, you're probably not going to be successful. It's, it's to get their interest and get them to want to talk some more in the future. Yeah, and the last thing on my list was uh, you want to get better, practice it. You've got, you got to find ways to practice it. Interestingly, uh, just this week, uh, just as, as one tip you might want to consider, I, was, I, I had the opportunity to visit a, a leads group. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the group BNI, which is a business networking group, and it's a it's a national company. Uh, are they one of our sponsors? I don't think they're one of our sponsors. So, yeah, but but anyway, we're going to say nice things about them. There but, we go. Uh, they they put together leads groups where they'll have individuals from from different industries slash occupations participate, and uh, they get to know one another and provide leads to one another. And I visited one of their meetings this week, and they require that each of their members get up at the beginning of each meeting and give a 45-second presentation or elevator speech on what their business is and what sort of leads they're looking for, what sort of customers they're looking for. And I think just the practice of going through that on a weekly basis and getting up in front of people and and sharing that information uh, was a very useful process. So way to go B&I. Well, I think that's a great thing that everybody needs to understand that practicing and under, have it down so that you're comfortable saying it and doing it in front of people as much as possible is, is a great way of uh, feeling good when you have that opportunity on the elevator or at the barbecue, as you say. Going back through my notes, I think we said make sure that you, you have a hook. Make sure that uh, you're, you, know, you want the timing to be right and that you're not talking about a 20-minute uh, dissertation. You're talking about a 30- to 60-second uh, commercial for your company. Uh, don't use technical or, or jargonish language. Don't oversell. And make sure you practice it. And it, it's probably going to get changed a bit over time, and, and that's, that's a good way to keep it fresh. Make sure that you understand who your audience is because you might want to make a few tweaks and adjustments as you go forward. But I think those are some pretty good ideas as you're working on your elevator speech. I think that's great. And understanding your audience, as you say, having the same pitch or talk, whatever it happens to be, you need to know who your audience is so you're going at what is of interest to them. You may have a, a product, but it may have a different use in different markets and different audiences, so be aware of that. That's key. Good deal. At uh, During each of our podcasts, we'd like to uh, spend a few minutes just focusing on some interesting small businesses that we come across in our in our travels and, and highlight them to you. And uh, and some things that are unique about them. And uh, and we invite you to send your ideas on small business, small businesses, a small business of the month to us. And uh, you can do that by emailing us at eexchange at themesh.tv. But, uh, Gary, what's what uh, what small business are you? do you want to talk about this month? 
I have a really interesting small business that's not so small anymore, but it's a classic story of success. And it happened in Lexington, North Carolina. It was uh, from a lady named Brandy Temple, and she started a business called Lolly Wally Doodle. Can you say that real fast? No, I can't. Okay, good. Lolly Wally Doodle. You know, I tried to say it to you earlier, and it was difficult. Uh, But it's a great story. Uh, She started, as we talk about all the time, in a garage, uh, making dresses for young girls out of remnants that she was getting. And she did this to start bringing extra income because they needed it from a standpoint of their regular jobs weren't doing as well as they wanted to. So they started this. And she had no way to market it. And she would make five or ten dresses with friends. And they would buy them and say, hey, this is the greatest thing in the world. Then she started putting on Facebook. And as many as she could make, people were buying and that was her marketing, a lot, which is interesting uh, because, you know, when people think about Facebook and social media as the extra in the marketing. This was her main source of getting people to buy her product. Well, long story short, she went from basically herself making with a family, just like you see on Shark Tank, to uh, close to 100 employees, still making them in uh, Lexington, and making it for order as opposed to getting things made overseas and coming here. They make them in North Carolina, and they ship them out based on Facebook. And the newest piece of this uh, great success story is Steve Cass, the AOL founder, just put $20 million investment into this business that started just a few years ago. So they're not that small anymore? They're not small anymore. They might have been small from the number of employees, uh, but not from a revenue standpoint anymore. But that's a great success story, though. Yes. Well, the small business that I wanted to share with you today, I I, uh, got the chance to vacation a bit in New York City earlier this summer. And my grandmother used to make the best rice pudding that I ever had. And and so I grew up having a love of not only grandmothers, but also rice pudding. And a friend of mine told me that there was a store in New York that just sells rice pudding. And it's called Rice to Riches. So my wife and I made the pilgrimage to Rice to Riches, which is near Little Italy on 37 Spring Street in New York City, and visited Rice to Riches. And as advertised, the only thing that they sell is rice pudding. And it comes in about 30 different varieties uh, with some very interesting names. Uh, and I'm a traditional kind of guy, as, as, as you know. So for the first visit, uh, we had some traditional flavors. My wife and I shared some vanilla rice pudding and something called coconut coma. But they also have some pretty other interesting things. On their year-round flavors, they've got something called sex drugs and Rocky Road. They've got uh, uh, the corner of cookies and cream. And they also have seasonal rice puddings. One of their summer seasonal uh, flavors was so called... this is the Ben and Jerry's of rice pudding? Well, this, I think there's only one at this point in time, but perhaps it could be over time. I, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, hit and Run Custard. One of their winter flavors is Play It Again Butter Pecan. And one of their holiday flavors is I'll Take Eggnog for 200, Alex. So they've got a few interesting things going on. And, you know, obviously, there are an awful lot of people in New York City. So when, when you and I talk about, you know, who, who your customers are, one of the first things you always have to figure out are, are there enough customers out there to make your business successful? So I think if this company got plunked down in a small town, probably the, the chances of success would not be so great. But uh, in New York City, 
they had a line out the door, and uh, and we were there, I think, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So I don't know if that's like rice pudding snack time for the masses or whatnot, but I get the sense that they do pretty well. And if you go to their website, you can also find that they will actually deliver to your door. So, you know, if I have a craving and I, I don't get to New York City that often, I could pay some money for them to actually to deliver. Bring it down to Hickory, North Carolina? They can bring it to North Carolina or or uh, Washington State or wherever you want, and uh, you can have this wonderful rice pudding. So, That's uh, a great story. Great name, Rice to Riches. Rice to Riches. So if, you, if you're a uh, rice pudding hound and you're in New York City, that is definitely the place to go. So, Fantastic. So, so we invite uh, you to send us your ideas for a uh, small business of the month. And as we said, you can you can send that to us at eexchange at themesh.tv. And uh, you know, we'll, if we choose your small business as our winner, we are going to give you a prize. We have we we have things in our garage that we are trying to get rid of, aren't we? Uh, they're special things, though. little flash drives, little shark flash drives, T-shirts. We Great actually, things. We actually have some legitimate stuff that we will give you. Plus, I've got some some tools that are rusting that I do need to get rid of as that's well. It's part of the yard sale. Yes, yeah. yes. So uh, again, that's eExchange at themesh.tv, and uh, we'll be doing this on a monthly basis. You can find us on the iTunes Store. You can find us on Stitcher, uh, and you can find us at the Mesh website, which is themesh.tv. www.themesh.tv. Uh, and and uh, The Mesh does many other podcasts. They do some business podcasts on customer service and leadership that you should check out if you haven't already. We will look forward to talking to you again next month. Really looking forward to it. We'll have some great topics to be discussing. We'll see you then. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.